and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify. And this is uh, Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And it's great to have you tuned in uh, to the broadcast today. Uh, this is a very special week for us as Christians. I am recording uh, this particular broadcast uh, during Holy Week, which is that week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Now, this past Sunday, of course, uh, many churches across the United States and the world, for that matter, celebrated Palm Sunday. And many churches had special Palm Sunday services. Uh, but we find that there were a lot of things that happened during that week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And one of those things is the topic that we're going to be talking about today, known as the widow's mite. Now, the widow's mite is a Bible story that is actually well known to many of you. Many of you can remember uh, studying the widow's mite in Sunday school years ago when you were a child or teenager. And you have heard many messages, perhaps, on the widow's mite ever since. And, uh, and with good reason. You know, it's a very important story, and it, there's a very important lesson here uh, for us. Now, this story about the widow's mite, it took place during the week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. In fact, during that last week, it took place, according to my Thompson Chain Reference Bible, it took place either Tuesday or Wednesday of Holy Week. And so that gives us a little bit of perspective. All this week I'm doing messages that are focused on that last week of Jesus' life on this earth as far as his human body is concerned. Now, I have to emphasize that because of the fact that uh, Jesus is still in the earth today, but not in a physical body like he was then, you know. And so we're talking about this last week that Jesus was on this earth in his uh, body prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So I want you to get out your Bibles right now and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 11 through 14. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 11 through 14. And here we read, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many were rich, cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing, or a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, This poor widow hath cast more in than all they which before cast into the treasury. For all they did cast out of their abundance. But she, of her want, did she cast in all that she had, even all of her living. Now, 
back in those days, apparently it was fairly common for people to come forward and drop their money into a, a common bucket or trough or whatever they put the money in. And uh, usually everybody in attendance saw what everybody was giving. Uh, now, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't necessarily uh, like this particular method of giving. Uh, and by the way, Jesus is not necessarily endorsing this particular method of collecting the offering. It's just that he happened to observe it. And of course, he observed all the rich people putting in what would be the equivalent today of hundreds of thousands of dollars. But they were probably multimillionaires, and therefore it represented but a drop in the bucket compared to what they had. But then you have this widow, and she puts in two copper coins. And we were told that in today's economy, for example, here in the United States, the two coins that she put in together would have a combined value of about a penny. And so um, she didn't have very much. And, and of course, widows back in those days, typically they had no income. Uh, usually somebody took care of them. Or maybe uh, their husband left them a chunk of savings uh, prior to his death. But widow ladies typically had little or no income in those days. But in this case, the widow was literally giving all that she had. In other words, after she puts in those two coins, she has no coins whatsoever of any amount. And so she literally took 100% of what she had at the time, and she drops it into the offering plate. And Jesus said that in reality, she was giving more than all the others combined. Now, let's put this in our economy today. Let's see what this looks like. Let's say you have a man who makes a million dollars a year off of his business ownerships and investments. He has a million plus dollars a year. And let's say he puts $1,000 in the offering plate, which most people would agree is a pretty good size offering. And I'm sure that whatever church he gives that thousand dollars to, uh, it's a lot of money. And furthermore, this is probably his income. So therefore, he's probably putting in a thousand dollars a week, fifty two thousand a year. So he's a great giver, we would say. Most pastors would love to have a church member who gave fifty two thousand dollars a year to the church budget. But along comes this widow lady. She's got two very small copper coins. They weren't much, they weren't worth much then and aren't worth basically any more than that today. Her two coins, if you had them today in today's economy, would be worth about a penny. So the question is, who gives the most? The widow lady 
putting a penny into the offering plate, or the millionaire putting a thousand dollars in the offering plate. Now, monetarily, I mean, it's very easy to see. The rich man gives a whole lot more than the widow lady. But now, if the millionaire put 100% of his paycheck that week into the offering plate, no telling how much money he would be given. Probably 100000 or more. But uh, on the other hand, what he gives is just a portion of what he has on hand. Now, of course, at this point, the rich man probably has all kinds of assets. See here? You know, if it were in our day, he would have a nice home, a nice car, he would have money in the bank, he would have investments. And yet Jesus said, this widow lady, which put her mite into the offering plate, her two coins, she gave more than everybody else combined because she gave all that she had. Now, I'll be honest with you. Um, as a preacher, I have no desire to know what people supporting my memory, ministry uh, make. If I were a pastor of a church, I would have no desire to know what my church members make. I would take the position it's probably none of my business. I don't know what they make. Uh, I, I was, uh, earlier in my ministry, I was interim pastor of a church. And I can truthfully tell you from my own experience, I never checked to see how much any one of my members made. Now, I figured that some of my members uh, had pretty good incomes. I figured some had little or no income. But I, I never made it a point to find out who gave what. And I didn't feel that I as a pastor have any need to know that information. Because I think, frankly, what you give to the Lord's work is between you and God. I mean, that's what I really believe. Uh, one of the things about this ministry here, Sunshine USA, I have never made it a point to spend a lot of time on the Internet asking for money. I figure whatever God wants this ministry to do, he will provide the funds that we need to do it. <laughs> I heard a preacher yesterday on the radio. He made a statement that is so true. He said, God orders whatever God orders, he pays for. Whatever God orders, he pays for. And uh, if God tells me to do something in this ministry, I know that he's going to give this ministry that money without me having to get on the radio and beg and plead the people to give. What you give is ultimately between you and God. Now, if you want to talk about tithing, for example, and I know every pastor celebrates every church member that tithes. But in reality, 
we may not even know who tithes. <laughs> Sometimes you might have a church member that brags that they've tithed, but maybe they really don't. Maybe they're not honest with the pastor about what they make. You know, uh, so it's very hard to tell anyway. But what you give to the Lord and his work is between you and God. And I believe that the more sacrificial your gift is, the more pleasing it is with God. Now, let's say you have a million dollars a year in income. Well, your tithe on that would come to 100000 a year. Okay, I think we all agree that's pretty simple arithmetic. But let's say you've got a guy that works in the grocery store. He gives $10 a week to the church, and his paycheck is $100 a week. Well, just like the millionaire, he's given a tithe. But I would tell you this, that grocery store worker who pays $10 a week as his tithe basically has given a whole lot more money to the church than the rich guy that puts 100000 a week into church, assuming that the millionaire makes a million dollars a week. <laughs> you know? I think the emphasis here is not so much on the amount you give, but rather how sacrificial is your gift. You know, for example, uh, maybe you're giving to the Lord just whatever amount of money you feel like you can after everything else is taken care of. You know, in other words, after all your bills are paid and after you've bought whatever luxury items you want to buy for yourself, you say, okay, well, I'm going to give 10% of whatever is left over after that to the Lord. Well, realistically, that would not be a tithe because you're only giving 10% of what's left over to the Lord. You're not giving 10% total of everything you made that week to the Lord. But also, the Lord is interested in how sacrificial your gift is. How sacrificial your gift is. Now, those who give sacrificially are indicating that they are truly sold out to God. Now, if you have a, a deacon or an elder in the church, they might tithe because they're afraid they're going to lose their lofty position in the church if they don't. That is not the kind of giving that honors God. So I think one of the lessons that we learn from this lesson today is the fact that God loves a sacrificial giver. God wants us to give all that we have. And by the way, it's important to note that in biblical times, the tithe consisted more than just money. For example, a lot of times you had people in biblical times who had very little cash and they had very little currency as income. Most of their wealth was in the form of uh, cattle and, and crops 
or whatever they made to sell with their hands, that was their wealth. And so God takes a look at the total picture. Uh, I remember hearing one time about a, a church member. He was an auto mechanic by trade. And he and his wife didn't have a lot of money. They had a, a handicapped child. And that handicapped child uh, cost them a lot of money in terms of medical bills. And so, frankly, they didn't have a lot of cash on hand to give to the church. But the man was a very gifted auto mechanic. I mean, he knew everything there was to know about what makes a car, truck, or bus run. And the church he was a member of at the time had a huge fleet of church buses. They had buses and vans and stuff like that. And the pastor said, you know what? I mean, not the pastor, the mechanic said, you know what? He told his pastor, he says, I'm going to fix all of the church vehicles at no cost as far as the labor is concerned. He said, the only bill the church will get from me is a reimbursement for some of the parts that I put into them. And he says in some cases, especially if it's a small, inexpensive part, I'll even donate that part to the church for the buses. And so in terms of parts and labor, he donated the equivalent of well over $10,000 a year, even though in terms of cash he gave nothing. Now, in my book, it would be okay to put him down as a tither, regardless of what the monetary money was that he gave. Because he gave of the talent that he had. Had the church had to go out and pay a commercial mechanic to do the work he was doing for free, they easily would have spent 10000 or more dollars a year in some cases on just one vehicle, and the church, like I say, had a whole fleet of vehicles. <clears throat> so that is something to think about. I know of other churches where you might have a carpenter, just like Jesus was a carpenter. And they'll, they'll tell the pastor, you know, pastor, I don't have a lot of money to give, but you know what? If this church is ever going to do any remodeling or any rebuilding or building, I'll supply the labor for free. My labor is free. If the church buys the building materials, I will use my skill and my time to put it all together and I won't charge the church a single cent for it. Now, you know, that's what true giving is all about. That's what true giving is all about. I mean, down through the years, I've had people do favors for me. They have gone on errands for me. And they have done things for me that I couldn't do for myself. I tell you, I put a value on that. Even though they didn't actually give me money, they gave me something that was very valuable. They gave me what I needed, and they gave me of their time. 
they gave me of their talent. And you see, that's important in the overall scheme of things. That is very, very important. Now, notice, too, that this is an event that takes place during that last week of Jesus' life on this earth. And so we see that in many ways, things are going on at the temple that are the same as any other thing. Now, you know, yesterday in our Bible study together, we talked about how Jesus cleansed the temple. Now that, by the way, illustrates that it's not always a sin to get angry. In fact, there are things that for us as Christians should make us mad. There are times when I should get mad. There are times when I need to get mad. Jesus got mad when he saw what the money changers were doing in the temple. And like I pointed out on yesterday's broadcast, in one sense of the word, they were performing a needed service. Because when it came to sacrificing animals at the temple, you couldn't give just any animal. It had to be an animal without spot or blemish. And the thing about it is, you couldn't give your ordinary money into the temple. You had to give in the temple what they called a temple tax paid for in temple currency. So you would have to give the money changers whatever rate of pay they wanted to take your money and exchange it for temple money to be used in the offering. So there is that sense in which the money changers seemingly were performing a needed service. The thing about it is these money changers were operating out of greed. They charged exuberantly high prices for what they knew you had to purchase, no matter what their price was, because you couldn't present just any animal to the temple as a sacrifice. It had to be an animal without spot or blemish. And the temple tax, it had to be paid for in temple currency. That's the way it was. But Jesus said, this is not pleasing to me. You've taken what is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. Now, by calling it a den of thieves, he was referring to the fact that they were making outrageously high profits. Now, he wasn't necessarily condemning the fact that they made a profit. That was understandable and reasonable. I mean, if you go into business, I mean, in order to pay your bills, you have to charge a little bit above what it costs you so that you have enough profit to live on. I mean, you've got to live just like anybody else. What Jesus was condemning was the outrageously, unjustifiably high profits that these money changers were making. Now, I'm afraid we have a lot of people today which are in the ministry for money. 
not too long ago, there was this news story. Some of you probably heard it. I'm not going to mention any names here because I don't do that in my ministry. I don't try to build up my ministry by knocking down somebody else's ministry. But not too long ago, there was this story about a TV evangelist that was asking for $85 million so that he could buy a really super nice luxury jet. Now, I think he already had three or four jets in his arsenal, so to speak, but he wanted another jet, and this one would be bigger and more powerful than any other jet he had. And as he put it, he said, I can fly anywhere in the world with very little notice and without refueling. I mean, he was bragging about this jet he wanted to buy. But in order to buy it, he would need $85 million. Now, folks, I got news for you. I think that makes God angry. There's no way that any evangelist, in my opinion, I don't care how sincere he is, I don't care how many people he's reaching for the Lord, there is no way that you could justify $85 million for a private jet. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong for an evangelist to have an airplane. I mean, I understand that some evangelists have so many bookings every year, there's no way they could get to all those bookings if they didn't have their own private plane. But it's just like an automobile. You know, if you're a preacher, you probably find that you need an automobile. But that doesn't mean you need a Rolls Royce. That doesn't mean you need the most valuable car in all the world. If you've got a gas guzzler that runs and is dependable, praise the Lord. You know? Get what you need, but don't get anything more than that. But when you have preachers on television today that are always saying, gimme, 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 let me get let me tell you something. And and folks, this is what guides me in my ministry. I recognize the fact that when I die, when I die, I can't take anything with me. When I die, I can't take anything whatsoever with me. I came into this world with nothing, and you know what? I'm going to leave this world with nothing. Amen. Praise the Lord. But I do know, I do know that uh, one of these days when I get to heaven, I'm going to move into my heavenly mansion. Now that being the case, why do I need a mansion on earth? I'll have a mansion soon enough in heaven. You know, I can't take anything with me anyway. So why build up a lot? Amen. <laughs> I've said this on my program many times. Uh, I've done my family a great service. I know that when I die, chances are I'm going to have very little money. I'm not going to have very much money at all when I die. I mean, seriously. But that's okay. The Bible says I can't take anything with me anyway. And therefore, my family isn't going to have to spend precious time arguing about who gets what of whatever I have. Now, 
one thing I've already decided is that when I die, I want whatever library I own at the time to go to a deserving ministerial student. And it might be that my books will be so many that I will divide them over several ministerial students so that I'll be making that one final investment in some young minister's ministry. And they will inherit a library that I have a lot of money invested in. One of the things I do nowadays is every month I buy one or two books to add to my library. And I suspect that when the time comes that I die, the most valuable asset that I will own is my personal library. And I will make arrangements to give that to some young ministerial student. With the stipulation that they need to spend time every day studying in those books so that they can be all that they can be for God. I would prefer that they go to a young minister who maybe can't afford to go to a traditional Bible college or seminary because they just don't have the funds to do it. Amen. But I've always taken an interest in young ministers. And in fact, if you're a young minister uh, listening to this podcast, I want you to know you could contact me any time. You can email me, for example, and you could give me your phone number, and I'll be glad to talk, call you and talk to you in person. No charge for that. I'll give you any advice you need. Anytime I can help you learn from mistakes that I've personally made in the ministry, I am only too happy to do it, and I'm available to do that free of charge. I mean, seriously. I mean, if you would love for me to come to your church, for example, I'll come to your church for free. The only thing I ask is that you pay for the expenses. You know, in other words, uh, you would pay for my expense to and from the church. You would provide me transportation where needed while I'm in your hometown preaching or doing whatever ministry you've asked me to do. And then uh, I want you to pay for whatever food I eat that week, but I, I don't charge you anything for coming. I just don't do that. Most of the money that I have made over my lifetime has been in secular work, not the ministry. No one will ever accuse Warren Landis of preaching the gospel for money because I've gotten very little of it in my lifetime. The most I ever had in terms of income was when I was paid $100 a week for being interim pastor of a church. And most of that was travel expense money because I was interim pastor in a church 125 miles from where I was going to seminary. And so every week I went to the town where that church was located. I traveled there on a Greyhound bus. And my round-trip bus fare every week 
was equal to about what they were paying me. I didn't make any money on that deal. So no one will ever accuse Warren Landis of preaching the gospel or teaching the Bible for money. It just hasn't happened. And I don't plan to start doing that now. Amen. Now, if you have a Bible study question, or if you have a prayer request, you're invited to call me. Um, I tell, well, <laughs> I would give you my telephone number. I, I get so many spam calls, though. What I would rather do is have you um, email me. You can tell me what your phone number is, and I'll be glad to call you. Uh, or I can answer you by email, which is probably even better. I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at gmail.com. The other one is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. Now, I'll be honest with you, my email address, warrenlandis at yahoo.com, that is my primary email address, and that would be the quickest and easiest way for me to answer you. Now, if you want to contact me by snail mail, you could do that too. My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Well, I don't know about you. I've enjoyed uh, being with you uh, this morning. Um, I tell you, this is the highlight of my day when I get on the internet and I broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ and I teach the Bible. I look forward to this time every day and I lean over backwards to make sure that I have time to do it. Some days I've done this broadcast and man, I didn't even feel like it. But I did it anyway because I knew that I needed to. And, uh, and I did it. I've done this broadcast some days when I felt like I've already got so much on my schedule, I just don't see how I could do anything more than what I've already done. But I still try to make room for this broadcast because to me it's the most important thing on my schedule and I, I've said this before I record these programs in the morning usually that's when I'm feeling the best that is when my voice is the strongest and that is when I'm most alert because I always want to go down as giving the best that I have to the Lord. And that includes the best part of my day, the best part of my energy, the best part of my schedule. So there you have it. Well, don't fret none, because after all, tomorrow we'll do this all over again. And like I say, every broadcast I do this week is coming from that last week in the life of Jesus. Amen. Well, until then, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, and I hope that you will uh, be sure to tune in again next time. And until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.